All right, if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Galatians. We'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5. We'll read in a few minutes from Galatians 5, 16 to 25. And if you are a guest with us today, let me add my welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. Trust that you've been blessed already as the truth of God's word has, has gone out in song and in prayer as we, as we seek to pour out our hearts before our God who has given his own son for us. So we hope that you've already been blessed and that you will continue to be blessed as we gather together in Jesus' name today. And you have found us in the middle of a series on sanctification. That's a really big word and it's a Bible word and it's a Bible word about growing into Christ's image by the Spirit's power. So, so far in the series, we've seen that sanctification is the gradual process by which those who trust in Jesus are transformed, that we are set apart from sin and to God. We've seen that this is God the Father's plan for us, and he is absolutely committed to his plan to grow us up to be like his Son. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at really the heart of sanctification, our union with Christ. We could never draw near to God apart from him. He is for us. He gave his own life for us. He is in us. We are in him. We are with him, and we live for him. We're united with him in his death and resurrection so that sin is not in charge anymore. And to all those things, we say, yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. That is true. And it's truth that we need. And we need to fight to remember who we are in Christ. But as we think about what we're going to be going through together today, we say, okay, I know all those things. Whether you're a guest, you may know them. Whether you've been here the last few weeks, you're like, okay, yeah, that sort of sounds like what we've been hearing about in the sermons. I I know all those things. And we might think then, well, since I'm united to Christ, since I've died to sin and I'm alive to God, then everything is going to just be smooth sailing now, right? Especially those of you who are younger and you just learned last week, like, I can say no to sin because sin's not in charge. Well, there it is. It's simple. Right. It is simple, but simple is not the same as easy. Right? I mean, we think about sometimes the simple instructions that we give to children, and then they don't do it, or they do it anyway, right? How many of us, whether in a teaching setting or as parents, have said, don't you understand what the word no means? Right? And the thing is, they understand very clearly what the word no means. That is not the problem. The problem is not understanding. Sometimes it is, but usually as parents we can tell the difference, right? Or as a teacher in a classroom, you've been in a classroom a long time, and you're like, yeah, no, I know what that is, right? The problem's not understanding. And so we may have problems in our Christian life, in desiring to grow up to be like Christ. We may have problems of understanding, and we do need to continue to grow in understanding. We will never 
fully comprehend the depths of Christ's love for us and the depths of what it means that we are united to him. And so, yes, we must always be growing in our understanding, but I think for many of us in many situations, understanding is not the issue. We know what we are supposed to do, and we don't do it. We sense the Spirit's prompting, speak to that person, ask them this question, tell them this truth from God's Word. And we're like, well, it'd be uncomfortable for them. I'm sure it'd be very uncomfortable for them if I did that right now. Right? It'd be uncomfortable for me. It'd be hard. I'm not sure if that's really what I should do. Or sometimes it's not even about a prompting from the Spirit. It's about a a clear command from God's Word. Don't do this. Don't go there. And we know it. But we still do it, just like the kid, right? It's like, don't touch that. Don't you understand? We do understand. But understanding is not enough. In fact, when we are joined to Christ by faith, it is really the beginning of our struggle against sin. Before we were in Christ, we did whatever we wanted to do. We did whatever was best for us and most advantageous for us. And we didn't care about obeying God's law. And maybe you did grow up with parents trying to help you to learn to obey God's law, but the primary thing you end up learning, even in that kind of situation, is that you can't do it. You can't keep it. And then we hear the good news that, yes, you cannot keep the law. You have not kept it. You deserve God's wrath, but God the Father, at just the right time, sent his Son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to be born and to be one of us in every way except for sin. And he lived a perfect life, filled with the Spirit, always doing what his Father had given him to do. Always obeying, never disobeying. Always being exactly what all of us were supposed to be. And then one day, he died on a cross, wrongly condemned, but condemned ultimately in our place. On that cross, he became the perfect sacrifice that paid for the sins of everyone who will trust in him, who will realize that I deserve to be separated from God because of my sin. And the only way back is through Christ. And one day... For many of us in this room, that good news, that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he died a bloody death on the cross, a sacrificial death in our place, but that he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, guaranteeing life for everyone who hopes in him. There was a point in time, even if you don't know what day it is, and even if you don't have it written down in your Bible, there was a time when you 
passed over from death to life. From being lost to being found. From being outside of God's people, strangers to his covenants and his grace. And being inside. Being not just citizens, though that would be way more than we could ever deserve. Not just citizens, but sons and daughters. God's own family by his grace through the work of Christ. When that happened for us, that was the beginning of our real struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that before Christ, we didn't like the outcome of certain sins and we didn't want to change some bad habits. It is possible to change habits by willpower. It is not possible to overcome sin by our own willpower. We just trade one sin for another. Because if I've overcome it by my own willpower, I must be pretty good. I mean, look at what I've been able to do. And if you would just follow these three simple steps, you can do the same thing. Right? It seems like you see it almost every week. There's somebody, they've, they've uh, lost a lot of weight. That's usually the thing, because you can really see the difference. They've lost a lot of weight, and they haven't posted in months. And now, here's, the, here's what I looked like six months ago. Here's what I look like now. And it's always, and now I'm an ambassador for some brand, and here's how you can be just like me. It's not bad to lose weight. It's not bad to become healthy if that is what is needed in your life. And it's not bad to be on a program and it's not bad to even be an ambassador for a program. But if we are doing those kinds of things outside of Christ, we may feel good about ourselves. We may even live a little longer. But we're just trading one sin for another. But now, if we are in Christ, the real battle begins. And so you may have heard most of what's been said so far and think, okay, all of that, you know, in, in the series, all of that is, is true and it's good and okay, I can do this. And today's message comes along and says, for those who are I- idealistic like that and haven't lived very long and haven't tried to fight against your own sin very much, to give you the warning that the several people who kind of chuckled a few minutes ago would give you. It's not that easy. In fact, it's impossible. And, and this sounds almost heretical. This sounds very wrong to say we need more than the Father's plan for us and we need more than union with Christ. Right? How can you say we need more than union with Christ? That's everything. What I mean by that is without the Holy Spirit doesn't do any good for us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because for those who are in Christ, now there is an old us that the Bible, depending on your translation, will call the new man or the new self. We have an old us and we have a new us. We have an old self and we have a new self. And when we belong to Christ... The old self does not totally go away. Yes, we are in Christ. We are a new creation. But we are still commanded to put off that old self. To put to death the deeds of the body. And so we still need 
help. And that's one of the reasons that we've mentioned a couple times already that David Pallison says that there is no single key to sanctification. Because sometimes something like union with Christ could be put forward like that. It's so big, it's so deep, it's so important, and it is, but it's not all. We still need help. We need more than our union with Christ. We need more than just getting used to our justification that I am now right with God and I belong to him and I don't have to sin anymore. We need help to live out our identity in Christ. We need help to live as children of the Heavenly Father. And thanks be to God, he has given us that help by the Holy Spirit. So let's look now at Galatians Chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Paul writes, But I say, but walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Not an exhaustive list. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Oh God, would you meet with us now in these remaining minutes today? Would you help us to see our need of your Spirit's work in our lives? And would you help us to see how much he brings to our need? That while we can be overwhelmed with all the ways that we have failed and all the room that we still have to grow, would you help us, would you keep us from being overwhelmed? And help us to see the overwhelming grace and power that comes to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And would you use that understanding to help us to grow. So Spirit, would you be our teacher today about yourself? You do such a great job at pointing us to Christ and his glory. Would you do that again today? And would we be aware of how you work? And would we pursue your work in our lives to make us like Christ? Oh, would you bring that really good result out of this gathering today? We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. The big idea this morning is this, that we must depend on the Holy Spirit in our struggle against sin. So when we became a believer in Jesus, that began for real, that began in earnest, the struggle against sin. Yes, it's simple, but not easy. And as we think about how the triune God works for our salvation, that includes our sanctification. So the Father planned it. He's the one who says, let's do this, and plans how it will be done, and commissions the Son to go. And Jesus is the one who provides salvation. He is the one who gives his own life for us. But the Holy Spirit is the one who applies that work of salvation to us. That's why a few minutes ago I said, if we don't have the Holy Spirit working in our lives, that good news of the gospel, it doesn't mean anything to us and it doesn't do anything for us. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we need it more than we know. (laughs) We need the work of the Holy Spirit more than we ask for. And so by God's grace, we want to grow. Now, are we going to be perfect after this one at depending on the Spirit, just like we were perfect after last week at saying no to sin? No. And he keeps pouring out his grace for us. And as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's, it's not that at the end of any of these messages or at the end of the series, it's like, well, there it is, I got it. This is more like an, an intro. How do we live this Christian life? How do we walk the way that God would have us to walk? One really big answer to that is we walk by the Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do, particularly for our sanctifications? There's going to end up being a lot of information on this slide. Kids, again, we are so glad that you're here. The underlines are there just for you. If it's up there long enough and you can get the whole thing down, fantastic. Maybe your parents will let you stay up an extra 30 minutes tonight or something. Don't count on it. Yeah, sorry about that, parents. What does the Holy Spirit do? So you're going to see a lot of words. Some of them are big words. We'll explain them. The Holy Spirit first regenerates us. Now, we don't really think of this as part of sanctification proper, but this is certainly part of our salvation, that it is the Holy Spirit who causes us to be alive to God, who causes us to wake up and see that Jesus is the great Savior so that we are converted, that we turn, that we repent. We talk a lot about repentance and faith, that repentance is when we were walking one way, And we turn around and we're walking the other way. That we were going toward sin and toward destruction. And we turn around and we are walking toward 
God. And we do that by faith in what Jesus accomplished for us. We repent and believe because the Spirit regenerates us. Because he makes us alive. He wakes us up from the dead and causes us to see. One of the ways the Bible talks about that is being born again. And more specifically is that we are born of the Spirit. In John 3, as Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, so that's your natural birth, a spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can't see the Spirit working like we can't see the wind. But he goes where he wants to according to God's will and breathes life and causes us to be born again. So he regenerates us. That's what really gets everything going. Without that, we don't have anything else. He causes us to be born again. And when that happens... When he regenerates us and we we repent and we believe and we are adopted into God's family, we get all these amazing gifts. We are justified. We are declared righteous before God even though we have not been righteous. One of the really great gifts that we receive is that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, indwells is not really uh, a word you know, that the kids are using these days, or even that the adults are using these days generally. I think I've really only heard indwells in a, in a church or Bible sense. And so especially for the, the young ones among us, indwells, what does that mean? Well, so dwells, like you dwell in your house, right? That's where you live. It's a dwelling. And that's where you live. And now we are the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are the place that the Spirit lives. He lives inside us. So when we say He indwells us, that's just kind of a one-word way to say He takes up His residence in us. He lives inside us. And for everyone who has turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus, that is true of you from then till the day You go to be with Jesus. It doesn't change. He doesn't go away. It's not like you've been bad this week. I am out. He is in. He is in us. If you are trusting in Christ, he is is in you. Romans 8, 9 is one place where we see this, that he dwells in us. And it was according to the promises of, from the Old Testament in Isaiah 32 and Ezekiel 39 and Joel 2, 28 and 29, that God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, old men, old women, young men, young women. He was going to pour out his spirit. It's also based on the promise from Jesus himself. When he's with his disciples at the Last Supper in John 14, he says that he's with you, talking of the spirit, He says he's with you and he will be in you. Now, 
You're not going to find them on an x-ray or an MRI or a CAT scan or anything like that. But if you are in Christ, the way that Christ dwells in you, we talk about Christ being in you, he is in you by his spirit. So he won't show up on a scan, but the Holy Spirit, when you trusted in Christ, made his home inside you. He indwells us. And as the indwelling spirit, who's always then with us, what does he do? The Holy Spirit, next, illuminates God's word to us. Now, you kids know what illumination is, right? What happens when something is illuminated? Can somebody shout it out from behind your mask there? It lights up. That's right. That was Judah that said that, right? Great job. If something is illuminated, it is all lit up. And the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word to us. And you're like, well, I can see it. It's right there. It's right there in front of me. It's, it's a white page and black words, and so there's good contrast. I can see it. But we need the Spirit to help us really see there's a way in which if we don't have the Spirit's help, it really is like reading in the dark. Where maybe, you know, we, we think we can see the words, but we really can't. And the Holy Spirit turns the light on so that we can see. He's the one who first opens our eyes to see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. We see that in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. But he also is the one who, even as believers, we still need this ongoing illumination. We don't just go, well, he opened my eyes and now I see. We still need his help. He opens our eyes and our hearts to be able to understand God's word in an ongoing way. We see this in John 16, 13 to 15, where Jesus says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Or 1 Corinthians 2.14, where Paul's writing, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are discerned by the Spirit. And so if you want understanding, for those of you who have a habit of reading God's Word, if you don't already have this as part of your habit, pray even before you start and ask for God by His Spirit to help you see what He wants you to see, what is in there for real. And then to know how to apply it, how to live differently in light of what is revealed in his holy word. God loves to answer those kinds of prayers. And maybe we know, but we've forgotten. So maybe it's not just for the kids. As you read God's word, ask for God's help to open your eyes so that you, as the psalmist wrote so many millennia, ago, that you may behold wondrous things in God's law. So he regenerates us and dwells us. He illuminates God's word to us. 
The Holy Spirit is also the one who conforms us to Christ, conforms us to the image of Christ. When we're talking about sanctification, we're wanting to be changed. We're wanting to be different. Even saying we need to be sanctified is an acknowledgement that we need to grow in being set apart to God and from sin. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's the one who applies Christ's work to us. And he does that at the very beginning, making us believe, but he also does that along the way. He conforms us to Christ. The key text here is 2 Corinthians 3, 18. I'll start in 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, and that's a reference to what's going on earlier in that chapter, where Moses saw God face to face on Mount Sinai, and he went down to the people, and they said, oh, the, the reflection, it's like Moses was glowing because he had seen God. And, and he wasn't even allowed to see God's face. He could only see God's back, we're told. And we don't know exactly what that means, but we know that when he came down, everyone could tell the difference, and they didn't like it very much because it was too bright. And they had him wear a veil. They had him wear a veil so that they would not have to see that brightness. But in the gospel... And with the help of the Spirit, what happens is that veil is removed. Paul says here in this letter that unbelievers still have the veil. People who are outside of Christ still have the veil and they can't see his glory. Just like the children of Israel all those years ago couldn't see the glory once it was covered up. It's like it's still covered up for them. It says, but we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. What happens? We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we've said sanctification is about being transformed into the image of Christ, and here's the verse for it. It happens by the Spirit's power, and it happens bit by bit. It says from one degree of glory to another. It's bit by bit, step by step, day by day. And so here's a word of encouragement for us. Don't get discouraged if your growing up into likeness to Christ isn't happening all at once. If you are seeking him, you're seeking him through his word, and that's what we'll be talking more about next week and you are praying and you are seeking the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help you obey, and yeah, you're, you're growing, but you're still aware of how far short you fall. Don't be discouraged. It doesn't all happen at once. It's step by step, one degree of glory to another. I think maybe it doesn't happen all at once, because then we would try to figure out a way to take credit for that transformation, or to think that somehow we can now do it on our own. Like, you think if you were completely sanctified immediately, and it's like, I feel like I'm not even tempted with sin anymore, and yet we were still in this life, and seeing other people sin, it's like, what's their problem? Why can't they just be like me? Sometimes, even though we still really struggle with sin, 
We think like that anyway. Which just demonstrates how far off we are from the heart of Christ and from the spirit of Christ. We can't take credit for our transformation and we cannot do it on our own. Every good we have comes to us by God's grace through the merits of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must look to him. We must depend on him, on God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for our justification, being declared right with God, and for our sanctification, growing up in likeness to Christ by the Spirit's power. What else does the Spirit do? The Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. And this is one that you can do further study on because we don't have anywhere near the time to try to explore this one today. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 are some key passages there. But the point for sanctification is that the spiritual gifts, the gifts that he gives us are not just to show off. Like if you're especially gifted in certain spiritual gifts, it's not like, look at me, look what I got, right? We're reminded he's the one who gives them and he also gives them for a purpose, Not to honor the person who has the gift, but to honor Christ who gave himself for us in order that those who are served by those spiritual gifts are built up. That is the goal of spiritual gifts, even spectacular ones. Aren't just be like, whoa, that was cool but are to deepen our love for Christ, to help us to know his love for us and his care for us. And so the Spirit gives us spiritual gifts individually and in the church to build us up, to help us be more like Christ. The Holy Spirit also, and this has kind of come up in some of the other ones, empowers us to obey. Romans 8.4 speaks of the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. And we're, that's kind of jarring for us. We're so used to like, we didn't keep the righteous requirement of the law and Jesus kept it for us. And that's true. But now we who are in Christ, we can fulfill the law. Now we don't do it perfectly, but we can live in obedience To Christ. How does that happen? The last part of the verse says, Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's not that, like, now you're a Christian, you can obey. It's you are walking according to the Spirit, and with the Spirit's help, you can obey. Or Romans 8 13, a little later on in that same passage. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we kill sin in our lives? By the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit. That is the only way. He empowers us to obey. Later on in Romans 8, we learn that the Spirit helps us to pray. Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And the Spirit renews us day by day. He regenerates us and he renews us. We see this in Titus 3.5. 
He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He does all of this by his grace. Not, we don't deserve any of this. He does it all. And he works in us as we seek Christ through the word. That's what we'll be talking about next week. So what is our part? He does all these things. What's our part? We must walk in the Spirit. That was the heart of the passage that we read at the beginning today from Galatians 5. Your flesh is against your spirit. That old man, that old you is against the new you, and they fight. And so we must walk by the Spirit. That is how we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You say, walk by the Spirit. It's like, again, if we're thinking literally, it's like, I'm walking. Like, how do I walk in the Spirit? The idea is that that is how we live. The course of our life is our walk. So the way we live must be in the Spirit. Well, how does that happen? Well, we must be filled with the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. The key text here is Ephesians 5, 18 to 21. And it helps us understand something important about how the Spirit works and how the Spirit works in us. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say what that will look like, and we'll talk more about that in future messages. But I just want to highlight the contrast to help us understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And what's the idea there? You know, for the kids, you're like, I don't know what that means at all. But you've seen, whether on TV or in movies or something, somebody who is drunk, right? Or on your block. <laughs> right? I mean, it's where we live, okay? Okay. That person is not in control of themselves, right? And there's different kinds of drunks, happy drunks, sad drunks, angry drunks, drunk drunks. Sometimes they can be all those different kinds, like in like five minutes. The idea is they are not under control. Something else is controlling them. Something is getting in the way of them being able to think clearly and do things that under normal circumstances they'd be able to do, like walk a straight line. Or something's keeping them from not doing things that under normal circumstances they wouldn't do. And this is given to us as a way to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It says, don't do that. Don't be drunk with wine, controlled by spirits, as it were. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by Him. So that the things that you would have used to do when you were just the old you, you don't have to do them anymore. Because you're under the control of someone else. You're doing what he wants. And he's the one who helps us to love what we should love. And to do what we should do. Now, we already said earlier, the Spirit indwells us. 
if the Spirit indwells us, why do we need the Spirit to fill us? Right? I mean, you already said he doesn't show up on a CAT scan, so what, what's the difference then? You know, how can you get more of something you already have? And yet, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And so, yes, he always lives in us, but especially as we think about this idea of he is controlling us so that we're saying what he wants us to say. We're doing what he wants us to do. That is the heart of being filled with the Spirit. As we get into the series in Acts, we'll see a lot of times where it says, and he was filled with the Spirit and. And so we must be filled with the Spirit. That will help us to obey, will help us to speak up for Christ when we should speak up for him. It'll give us a boldness for Christ, give us a wisdom that we would not have on our own. So we can and we must be filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way, living under His control as we are filled with His Word. And then we must keep in step with the Spirit. That was at the very end of our passage in Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, that's what we want to do, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The idea there is that we're watching the kind of steps that he would take, and we're doing them too, right? You think about people in the military, or a cheerleading squad, or any group that's trying to do something together, synchronized swimming, right? If one person's doing kind of their own thing, it doesn't look right, right? But if they're able to keep in step, so for in marching, if every foot falls right together, And they keep in step. That's the idea here. That we are to keep in step with the Spirit. That we're not just doing whatever we want. Doing whatever we feel like. That we are watching. What are the kinds of things the Spirit would do? What are the kinds of things that Jesus would do? And that's the idea of those works of the flesh and then fruit of the Spirit that are there in Galatians 5. When we consider the fruit of the Spirit, it's like, that's like Jesus. That's what we're called to be. What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? It it means to be focused on love and joy and peace and all those other qualities that are not ours by nature, but can be ours by grace. And so we must ask for help from the Spirit. We must seek His help. He is there for us. He is in us. He is ready to fill us. I mean, think about how this would help us in our fight with sin. When you are facing temptation, when something pops up again, and you're like, okay, what do I do right now? Are we asking the Holy Spirit for help? Even that would go such a long way, right? Because that's going to cut off a lot of things before they even get started. Yes, we will still stumble, But aren't there times that we pursue sin and then wonder why we're so caught up in it? Let us learn to stop and ask the Holy Spirit for help. By God's grace, let's be a people who ask for more. Not for more money or stuff, but more love for Christ. More assurance of his love for us. More patience. More love for others. More freedom from sin. More boldness to speak of Christ's love to others. These are the kinds of things the Spirit does. By God's grace, let us seek his help. 
We must depend on the Holy Spirit to help us in our struggle against sin. And he has more than enough power to do it. And that's why he was sent. He's called the helper. Let's pursue his help together. And by God's grace, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Jesus, thank you for giving your own life for us. Spirit, thank you for showing us the beauty of Christ in the gospel. For living in us. For empowering us to do what we cannot do on our own. To live like Christ. And so God, as we continue in this series and we talk about what it means to live like Christ, would you help us to never get away from these foundational truths that you have planned this for us and you are absolutely committed to our sanctification. Would you help us to remember our union with Christ, that we have died with him and have raised with him and we don't have to give in to sin anymore. And Spirit, would you help us so that we don't, that we don't give in to sin, but instead we live for God and for his glory alone. Would you do that good work in us according to your mercy? In Jesus' name, amen.